we've been in this season uh, taking some time to talk together with God and with each other about this whole idea of generosity. And um, particularly at this time when uh, everything in our culture is screaming and jumping up and down every Every first Tuesday of the month in particular when the RBA gets together and the whole of the country waits and waits for the news to drop. What's going to happen with interest rates? It's like everyone's living on edge about what's going to happen financially and uh, the implications that that has on people's budgets and so forth. And there's all these uh, economists and theorists uh, sort of saying, well, if we did this, maybe that'd make it easier. If we did that, this could happen. And or well, we're we're doing the right thing. And there's a lot of conjecture about approaches to all of that. And unfortunately, a lot of it is not hitting the mark in terms of helping people feel uh, a sense of peace. Is it? <laughs> I'm not picking up any peace anywhere in culture and conversation on mainstream media or any other form. It's all just anxious thoughts. Everyone is um, trying to figure out how to navigate uh, this season that we're in. And in this time, we've been wanting to uh, explore, well, what does it mean to follow a God who loves us and then invites us into generous living? And we, um, you may remember, if we can go to the um, next slide, thanks. Um, some of who can remember the great toilet paper panic of 2020? The great toilet paper panic uh, of 2020. And uh, it was like every time you'd rush to the, the supermarket store, it was like, darn it, the shelves of toilet paper's empty again. And, and there'd be people there with like trolleys full of the stuff and... I only wanted one roll. <laughs> it's like we're running out of home. But there was this great anxiety that was like uh, tearing through the place. And there was one really intense kind of um, flare-up moment uh, that uh, someone caught on their on their cameras. It was in a uh, Woolworths store down in uh, Western Sydney, and there was these two women that basically were, you know, like got physical over toilet rolls. I mean, they were argy-bargy and sort of, you know, letting fists go and pulling hair and screaming all sorts of things at each other over toilet paper. And 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 the picture there, in the middle there, you'll see the one lady on the left, she had like a trolley full, like a trolley full. Actually, that lady and her daughter, they ended up having to go to um, court uh, because of the, their behaviour towards the, the other lady to the right there who's kind of holding up this finger and the finger she's holding up and, and, and the audio that goes with that is she's saying, I just need one. And yet the, 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 the other ladies that had the trolley full, they were like, I can't spare a square, you know. And, uh, but I just need one. And, you, you know, this is, I mean, we kind of look at that now and we kind of think, oh, you know, a bit of a giggle. But in reality, that is a really honest snapshot of what's going on in most of us most of the time because underneath that what's happening there is a big question and the question is can I really trust well in this case maybe anybody to look out for my well-being 
But for the followers of Jesus, it's can I really trust God that he will provide for my needs? When for most of us, a lot of the time, deep down there, underneath all of that, we are quietly living in the great toilet paper panic of 2020 every day. And it may not be about particularly money. It may be about something else. Can I really trust God for my marriage? Can I really trust God for my workplace relationships? Can I really trust God for my children and my grandchildren? Um, next next uh, slide. Yeah, thanks, Steve. So, you know, can I really trust God to provide for me? That God is loving enough to care for me? Is he loving enough and big enough to care for me and you? And is he loving and generous enough to care for me and you and for the poor and the widow? So that's the question we're going to touch on today. Can I really trust God in this area of finance and money and stewardship of the kingdom? Or are we just really quietly panicking and hoping that there'll be enough toilet paper for us? This week I had a phone call from a mate and um, he was in a bit of a spot and um, so he rang me and he told me of his circumstance and he was basically telling me that he was, um, <clears throat> he was needing a, um, a tank of fuel uh, for his car to be able to continue to do what he needed to do. And so he rang me and, uh, and he said to me, you know, can you help? And uh, I said, um, yeah, sure, mate. I said, it's a, a tank of fuel. I can help. And he said, and, and he said, you know, because, you know, the church. And I said, hang on, just woo up right there, mate. Just woo, 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 woo. Slow it up. And I just said to him, uh, now, when you're talking about the church, you, you, you're talking about me. You're not talking about an organisation that somewhere over there has a bank account ready to help. I said, you're talking to me. I'm the church. Just like if I was talking to you, you're the church. And I said, I said, yeah, mate, I can fill, fill your tank. When I did that, I didn't ring Kate and say, Kate, uh, so-and-so needs a tank of gas. No, no, I went to the church's resources and I... And I said to Nick, hey, Nick, I'm just going to pass some money through to this guy. I've got his details. This is what it's for. She's like, yeah, no worries. That's all good. Let's do that. And so I just communicated with her to let her know that I was doing that. And off we went and sent him some money. But it's very easy, isn't it, to um, sort of put the responsibility onto an entity or an organisation and avoid the personal invitation in that moment from God. And you know what? I get, so I fill the guy's tank. I send him some money. And I think it meant I had a few less cups of coffee that I purchased this week. And um, so anyway, I fill his tank up. And, and through the course of the week, I'm, I'm um, <clears throat> in a series of meetings 
online uh, with some national conversations and work stuff that Nick and I need to do and somehow we need to finance. And one of those things was um, later this year, Nicole and I have to, for work, go over to Christchurch to help out with some conferences in New Zealand. And uh, anyway, we were looking at the uh, budget of the organisation that's, you know, behind Nicole and I helping. And uh, we went, well, you know, the budget's a bit lean this year. We're actually running at about a $25,000 deficit in terms of cash flow this year. So we've got some reserves there. That's okay. That's helping to cover that this year. That's no worries. But it's like we're not sure we can do the, the cost of the flights. It's about $1,400. And so we're sitting there and anyway, afterwards, um, one of the guys who was in the meeting, he's, he contacts us and he says to us, I'd like to pay for that. And I said, oh, what, what do you mean your church? He goes, yes, but no. He's like, he says, I just want to put it out to our church to say, hey, church, here's an opportunity for us to help Kirk and Nick get to Christchurch, who's in. And uh, so he went and already booked the tickets for us in advance of him even having the conversation with his church family. And I was just like, I was struck by the generosity of God that, you know, while I'm, I'm filling someone else's tank for, you know, whatever it is, 50 to 70 bucks these days, God was looking after my needs as, and our needs as well for things that we need to do down the road. It's like God is, is very interested in looking after us and caring for our, our every need. And, and I'm not saying God did that because I did this either. Don't, don't hear that. And I'm not saying God did because I sowed 70, I got 1,400. Don't, don't listen to that either. You can throw all that out the door. No, no, this was just I, as best as I could tried to partner with the heart of God for a bloke in need and it looked like a 50 to 70 bucks worth of fuel and then God looked after my needs, our needs because that's the character in the way of God, who he is through his people toward one another that tells a different story to the world. It tells a different story to the world. It tells a story that God is across it and looking after our every need, and we can trust him. Now, next slide. Thanks, Steve. We've been tackling these. Oh, I'll just pull back one. Thanks, mate. We've been tackling these fears over the last little while about the church being perceived in this culture in this time as all they want is your money. Now, I've got to say some of the parts of the church have done a good job in helping to build that perception, but we're here to pull that deception perception down and actually call it what I almost said pull that deception down I think that's maybe what it is <laughs> that perception that all the church wants is your money we're pulling that thing down and 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 actually having conversation around money you know often we keep that as it's it's, it's a private conversation you don't have that's but we're happy to have conversations about money if it's somebody else's in a public forum, especially all those CEOs of those big multinational companies. We're happy to talk about their income, but don't dare talk about mine. <laughs> so, but no, no, we're, gonna, we're just peeling back the awkwardness and having a sincere conversation. Like, actually, it's not a private matter. It's a kingdom of God matter. And let's just put it back in its right space, out from underneath our fears and into a right healthy space 
to be able to have that conversation. And we've also been dealing with some of the demonic powers and infrastructure that is at work both in the world and in the spirit, seeking to oppress the good news of Jesus getting out, coming against local churches and... um, and squeezing the cash flow line so that uh, it looks like God doesn't have enough when in fact he does. And as we do this, have this conversation, it's important to remind ourselves, just on the next one, thanks Steve, this, the big biblical narrative, hang on to the whole story of God, the whole counsel of God. Don't just take the, you know, the little uh, one verse and build a whole life on that principle. <laughs> you know, no, no, hold the whole, the whole council together. You know, remember the narrative of God it, from the beginning through to the end. It's like God, even as he sets his people free and begins to build his people into the earth in Exodus, he says, I'm going to rain down the manor. I'm going to look after you. Take, take what you need. Uh, you know, in Exodus, he even says to them, take what you need for today, and, and I'll back it up again tomorrow. And, and he's not saying, um, don't come to me and be, um, you know, if I'm offering this much, be stingy and think that'll impress me. No, no, just take what you need and I will be here tomorrow to help you with what you need tomorrow. And so that was the nature of the relationship with God. And, and, and that... Um, you know, if we keep pushing, you know, fast forward through to Jesus and the and the early church, then all of a sudden there's this group of people who have met Jesus, who is the the fullness of the King bringing His kingdom, and the response of all those people who've met Jesus is they're in one of heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions as their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, that really cuts against the grain, that one. That cuts against the grain of the culture and the context that we've grown up here in the West, most certainly. Um, but then, uh, you know, push through to the, the, end, of the, the end of the story, at, at the end of Revelations there, where in Revelations 21, the, he- the new heavens and the new earth are being fully established. You know, the new Jerusalem from heaven lands in the earth and establishes the kingdom forever. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. And it goes on, I wipe away every tear, I wipe away all the pain, there'll be no more sickness, I'll dwell with them forever and behold, I'm making everything new. And if you read all around that, it's like the trees in the, king, in the fullness of the kingdom, they're bearing fruit every month, all year round. There's provision, provision, provision. So there's this ultimate destiny and destination that God is inviting us into. Now, but what about for you and me? We're not quite at the end of the story yet, are we? <laughs> We're living somewhere between the Jesus bit and the revelation, the end of the story bit. We're living in there somewhere. So let's, uh, let's just jump on the next slide. Thanks, uh, Steve. Where these people called the church, the ones who've been called out of the world and into, into Jesus and, and, and forming this new economy in the world, this new community that does life differently than the rest of the world does, does it un, under the, uh, the generosity of the lordship of Jesus? And... The best way to describe it is we're meant to be this preview of what's coming. 
preview of what's coming. So the preview people, the church, the Jesus people, that's why in Acts 4, and it, it talks in 32 and to 35, it talks about no one was in need, everyone just shared what they had as people needed stuff, they gave it, and God looked after them. And um, <clears throat> that's, it's, it's like they're living in that moment what the story is ultimately going to be. It's like they're living now what it's going to be like then. And that's the invitation for us, is to learn to live now as a preview of what it's going to be like then. Now, we're not going to get it right all the time and we're going to be really clunky at it and we're not going to be very religious about it, but we're going to be sincere. We want to be sincere in in that we're trying to learn to hear the Holy Spirit and be obedient to Jesus and do what he asks us to do to follow him into this in regards to our finances. But we want to live now what the story is going to be then, now and then. And I do want to press on this because, you know, in the vineyard, we're these people that we love that idea when it comes to physical healing. We love it. It's like we're, we're, we're people that we pray for the kingdom to come now as it will be. Why? Because Jesus says in Mark 1.15, Jesus busts in onto the scene and he says, repent the kingdom, repent, change your thinking. Don't be so bloody minded to think that you know everything. Change your thinking. The kingdom of God is now at hand. The rule and reign of God is now here to rescue, restore, and begin to make all things new. Therefore, when we pray for people, we pray that what's going to be then with regards to healing, where there'll be no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears, we pray that that would come now. And Jesus taught us how to do that in his prayer. Then he he said, when you pray, pray like this, that the kingdom uh, would come now as it is in heaven, as it is and always will be. Bring that now. Same with money. Learning to live now as to what it is and ultimately will be in heaven, in the kingdom to come. We're okay with doing that for healing. Yeah, let's go after that. We're okay with dealing with that with areas of deliverance and setting the captives free and even feeding the poor. But money, hang on a minute. It's a bit like that little cartoon I put up the other week, you know, where the guy was being baptized but, and he was under the water but his hand was holding his wallet up out of the, out of the water. It's like, yeah, baptize every other bit of me, Lord, but not that. No, 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 that too. We're learning to live now what it will be and already is. The kingdom of God is at hand. So we practice what we believe. We put into practice now the full benefits of the future to come because the future to come has already broken in upon us in the person of Jesus. That's why as Jesus goes around, the dead are rising. That's why the sick are being healed. That's why the captives are being set free. That's why people are finding family in God's, in God's community. 
The kingdom of God is coming. Same with our resources. Same with our finances. God, the rule and reign of your generosity where there is, where there is no one in need, there is no one, there's no more um, people without because you are dwelling in all your fullness with all your people. We want that now with regards to our money. Show us how to use our money so that it reflects what's coming. See, because the world, the, see, we think no one's watching. The news is telling us a very different story right now. Everyone's watching the church because they want to hang us and they want to quarter us and they, and they want to do all of that to us. They want us in court and, and all sorts of stuff and justifiably so for many things. They are watching us. We think they're not. We think they couldn't give a brass razoo about us or even the time of day. The truth of the matter is they are watching. The world is watching. That's why Jesus said, the way you do this with each other, the way you love one another, the way you prefer, the way you resource, the way you enter into my generosity of the kingdom, it tells a different story. And it's by that that the world would know that I'm the king, even with the way we use our money. Now, I'm not dealing particularly in practicals this morning. I am really addressing the heart. I am, and I, and I mean, I can, I can do a little bit more of the practical stuff and I might just quickly do that. But this whole thing of tithes and offerings and it's a complex thing. If, if you really want to get into it, it is a multi-layered complex deal in the Old Testament. We just think it's about 10%. Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> there was many 10%, different 10% types of offerings and they would happen at different times of the year and every other year and every third year and some would be specifically for the widows and some for the poor and some for the Levites who were the guys that were looking after the temple where the presence of God was. It was like there's all these different... And then out of that they had to tithe and, and so on and so on and so on. It's a very complex thing. You can spend hours getting into it if you want. And I bless you to do that. But the original thing was this term of a tithe first came about when there's this guy called Abraham or Abram, and he, his, some of his family were taken captive by an invading nation. And anyway, there was this king or a, he was a priestly king and his kingdom and they went and rescued Abraham's family. And, one, and then brought, brought his family back out of captivity. And with it, they also brought all of this material stuff from the people they'd also conquered. And they gave the family back to Abraham. And they gave all the stuff back to Abraham. The stuff that wasn't even his, but it, was, it had been won by some other king, priestly guy. And he gives it to Abraham and says, there you go. There's your, there's your family and all this stuff. And Abraham's like, his response was, how do I say thank you? Let me take a tenth of everything that you've just given me and just honour you with it and give it back to you and say thank you. That's where the ball game begins when it comes to this term. It was about saying thank you. 
Now, this was well before Moses and anyone turned up with putting it into a law. This was like, this was just the generosity of a man and his heart of thanksgiving towards God. That's where the tithe thing started. It was a thank you, God. And then, if we fast forward through the story, you know, obviously, um, God's people got, end up in captivity in Egypt, and Moses leads them out, and this is the great Exodus story, and we love this account. And um, he, gets, he, he leads the people free, and then in the process of all of that, God, who up to this point has been manifestly present with his people and setting them free, says to them as they've been set free, they're now wandering around in the, the desert, God's now giving them everything they need every day. Take what you need. If you need a lot, take a lot. If you need a little, take a little. But just take what you need for today, helping them to learn in their heart that God wants to provide for them and care for them on a daily basis and he can be trusted. And in the process of that, God then says, now come, prepare yourself. I'm going to meet with you in a really intimate and powerful way. This is happening around about Exodus 20. And, and come up the mountain and meet with me. And the people all go, uh, uh, uh. this God is too big, too powerful. Uh, uh. Even though he's done all this stuff for us, we don't want to get that close. We want an arm's distance between God and us. Moses, up you go. And so they send him up, and he comes back down the first time. And what are they doing? <laughs> in, the, in the first time he comes back down, he discovers they've taken all of their resources. They feel like God has left the scene and because Moses has been away for too long. And so they melt down all their gold and jewelry. They make a calf, and they all start bowing down and worshipping it and carrying on and having an orgy and getting crazy. And then Moses goes, what the heck? What the heck is going on here? These people have lost the plot. And that's what happens when we want to keep an arm's distance between us and God. We lose the plot. Cultures lose the plot. Nations lose the plot. Relationships lose the plot when we want to keep an arm's distance between us and God. A sense of self and identity loses the plot. Anyway, Moses goes back up the second time and cries out and says, God, have mercy on them. Please, please have mercy on them. They're your, and then he goes, by the way, they're your people. <laughs> they're your kids. <laughs> they're your kids, God. And so he's up the mountain and God says, all right, well, look, if they don't want to have personal, engaging, intimate relationship on a living, dynamic basis with me, here's some rules to live by. He downloads the law. He said he codifies their behavior. So the expectations are clear on both sides. God says, if you live like this, you will be blessed. If you live like this, you will come under cursing. Blessing and cursing, blessing and cursing. And they're like, great, we want to be like just, just every other nation in the world. We want to be just like every surrounding culture and nation where there's tyrants that rule, and if we behave, we get blessed, and if we don't, we get cursed. So we know where the lines are, we know how to behave. That was the kind of relationship 
God's kids wanted with God. So God says, all right, here's the law. And then over time, that law gets developed and esteemed. And if you read the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through to Deuteronomy, this is called the Torah, where God writes this law and codifies this law into a behavior and then hands it to the people and says, here, this is how we, this is how we go from this point forward. So tithing goes from being this thing that Abraham does, where it's thank you, to it's no longer thank you, it's obligation. If I'm going to be all right with God, God's going to be all right with me, and we're going to be all right with each other, I have to behave like this. So in a way, it feels like the relationship has shifted from here, here, in Abraham to God, who by faith was, you know, loved God, believed God, and was considered righteous. It went from there to behaviour management, which was here. If you behave well, if not, you run the risk of stepping into cursing. How terrible. Anyway, so Moses and Israel, they go about their story together. You can read all about it. They had a wonderful series of kings and judges and some of that was great and glorious and some of it was absolutely shocking. All the way through there. And, and then in the midst of that, in all the brokenness of all of that, God in his mercy sends these people along. They're called prophets. And they're going, hey, remember when God said he would bless us and care for us and look after us as a people and there would be generosity and so forth? Well, Anyway, the prophets start prophesying that there would come a king and then comes King Jesus. And King Jesus, he then takes what was codified and shifts it again and brings it into maturity. And what he does is, as Paul says, he fulfills the law. So all of the expectation of what was required of the Lord, Jesus meets that in, his, in himself as the good king, as Israel's Messiah and the saviour of the world and as, as the one who was promised uh, to Abraham would come. And so Jesus shifts it for us into a place of kingdom health and it moves from obligation to a life of being filled with the spirit of the living God and out of the dynamic relationship of living under the power of the Holy Spirit, a conversation happens where I am deeply interested in letting everything that's coming into my life flow through my life in such a way that I become the true image-bearing human being that God always wanted me to be. And it would be a gift to the world. And then take all that comes into my life and return it unto God with thanksgiving. Can you see the, the shift? Can you see the, the dynamic shift and change? I mean, I've done some just some very big sort of picture stuff there. And, and I haven't gone into much detail. But this morning, we just want to get the heart right because I think Jesus is inviting us to move away from codified behaviour and into powerful, Holy Spirit-led living. And it's called generosity.
Paul picks up on some of the early church guys and girls in the in the, in the book of Corinthians and he's in Second Corinthians. And if you want to read about it in chapters eight and nine, I think, where he's talking about these guys called the Macedonian Christians. And these guys, the Macedonians, poor. I mean, poor, poor, poor people materially. Didn't have a lot of you know coin to rub together. And then, but then Paul says, I ask them he's so he's writing to to others to the corinthians he's saying i asked the macedonians would they consider giving an offering (laughs) and he says they went crazy with it let me just read it to you here 2 corinthians chapter 8 he says um in the midst of a very severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, did you hear the, that sentence? Let me just, the extremes in that. Let me just read that again. In the midst of a very severe trial. So they're living under oppression because they're Jesus people. And they're not giving credence to Caesar. They're saying, no, no, there's another Lord. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And, and it says that, so they're getting picked on in every regard. It says, in the midst of a, that very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. There's the two sides of the one coin. Welled up in rich generosity. He says, for I testify. So Paul's now using some pretty strong language. He's like, if you're going to take me to court on this, you, you can take me to court. This is the, this, this is true as it gets. He says, I testify. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. What? <laughs> and he says, they did it entirely on their own. <laughs> it's like no one pushed them, no one coerced them, no one strong-armed them, no one codified the behaviour. It was just invitation. They, and then he says, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to another part of God's people. Can, can we give? Can, it's like he gro- they're grabbing Paul. Like if Mick was standing here, I'd be shaking him. It's like, let me give. Let me give. Such was the craziness of the generosity and the work of the Spirit that was going on in these people who were poor and yet filled with joy that God counted them an invited person to be a part of seeing the kingdom come through their finances for the sake of another. That's just crazy, isn't it? But it's the way of the kingdom. Because the first thing we always do is disqualify ourselves. Why? Well, I don't earn enough. It's not about what you do and don't earn. It's about who's the king. Come on, it's about who's the king. Who gets to have the, the lordship in our lives in this area? And then he says, and they exceeded our expectations. Wow. They gave themselves, here it is, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord. And then by the will of God, they gave themselves also to us. Isn't that wonderful? What a story. What, an, what a work of God. 
anyway, he, talk, he goes on a little bit more. He says in verse 7 of chapter 8, 2 Corinthians 8, he says this, but since, and then he's talking to the Corinthians now. He says, now you guys, he says, you excel in everything. You guys, so he's not talking about the Macedonians now. He's talking about the Corinthians. He says, you guys, you excel in everything. You are the tops in everything. You excel in faith. You excel in speech and in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love that we have kindled in you. Now, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. That's not about law. <laughs> That's not about codified behavior. That's just the radical work of the Holy Spirit, breathing and releasing the kingdom of God in us and through us for the sake of another. Just maybe a couple of little helpful hints, all right? Some stuff that Megan and Nick have learned along the way of following Jesus and trying to follow him in this area. When we first started learning how to administer our resources and our finances in relationship with God and each other, we were like, you know, we weren't, <laughs> we weren't on, you know, great money. But... We also had a mindset that said, well, we want to learn how to use the bit that we've got for your greater glory, God. And so God took us on a journey and he just simply invited us to start with where we were. So we did. I think at the time we started giving 10 bucks a week. This is back in about 2000 and oh, something. Uh, we started giving 10 bucks a week. And as we started doing that, we realized that not only did all of our weekly responsibilities and bills and choices be covered, but we also had 10 bucks a week that we could give to God. And the way we did give to God was we gave it into the local church. And uh, so we started doing that. Now, you may remember a few weeks back, and it was actually the previous slide in, in Deuteronomy 24 and in Leviticus as well, where we touched on this whole area where God says, hey, when you, you know, harvest your harvest, don't go back over a second time and, and pick up all the gleanings. Just leave that stuff so that there's some for others, for the poor, for the wanderers, for the widows and so forth. And, and, and it's, it's like, so there's meant to be this sense of um, you're being looked after, and then there's meant to be this sense of margins in your life where there's also stuff for others to be able to enjoy and also give away. And so we just started with learning to live with generous edges. We just started with generous edges. We, kept, we tried to keep the, the main things of our life the main things, which was, okay, we need to look after our, our, our sense of weekly, you know, groceries and um, shopping and transport and mortgage and all that sort of stuff. We just, and, and some of the stuff that we love to do as well and some of the things that we like to do and dreamed about as well and, and saved for. But, but in the midst of all of that, it was like learning to make sure that we were looking after ourselves and at the same time, creating a culture of generous edges 
so that if ever there was need that came near our life or around our life, we had something to be able to release and give. So we just started with generous edges. But to do that, we had to review our income and our expenses. I just want to encourage you. Would you take some time to do that? Just have a look at what you're spending, how you're spending it. And it's not a guilt thing. It's just like, hey, this is what I'm spending and how I'm spending it. Is, that, is, is there some generous edges here? Is there a generous edge? Have I, have I allowed God to um, invite me to making a generous edge? And then at the same time, ask the Holy Spirit. Speak to me, Lord. Those Macedonian people, they experienced something of your spirit that was like this crazy giving thing. I, I, this gift of giving. I, that's a gift from you, God. I, that's a way of the kingdom. I want to be like that too. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak. And then welcome the invitation to trust the Lord. He is concerned that you will have toilet paper. So we're moving then into a different space. We're moving from generous edges to a generous heart and a generous life. We're moving from this kind of generous sense of, okay, well, let's start with 10 bucks. And before you know it, we just, just kept growing and giving away and giving away and giving away. And these days, we, we give away up to about 15% of our annual income, uh, both into the life of the church and beyond. Is that like, now, that's just what we do. We love it. In fact, if you're anywhere around Nicole, she will always want to give you stuff. She is a massive gift giver. She is also like, every any time we get like a little extra gift of like, you know, a couple of hundred bucks comes in or I sell something on Facebook Marketplace. Oh, look, I got a few pineapples, Nick. She's great. Who can we give it to? She just wants to keep giving stuff away. I'm like, oh, I thought I might do something with that. <laughs> but, you know... Generous heart and life. Welcome the invitation of the Holy Spirit to trust the Lord. This is also what faith looks like. Okay, Lord, that seems a little radical and maybe a little generous, but there's enough of you in that invitation for me to realise it's you. I'll go there and trust you. You see, Jesus wants all of our life, not simply 10% of our cash flow. He wants all of our life. Just a couple of little practical things. Start with where you are. Review your income and your expenses. And ask the Lord, is there a generous edge here? And start there. Start giving from that place. And then welcome the invitation of the Holy Spirit to go from a sense of codified behaviour to a life of heart responsiveness to the living God who's interested in your well-being. And we'll make sure that we've all got enough toilet paper. Last quote, let's finish here. Tim Keller, who has recently passed into the presence of King Jesus. Wonderful teacher. Wonderful teacher. He said this. He's talking about the early church. He goes, The early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. 
and a pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everyone their body. And then the Christians came along and they gave practically no one their body and they gave everyone, practically everyone their money. There is the point of distinction and difference. There's the point of dis- difference, the early church. I want to say it just on behalf of Nicole and I and, it, and our board that works with us and everyone here at PRV and it works in the life of our Mercy Centre and the missional arm of who that is. We want to say thank you for every time you ask God, what would you have me give God? That excites our heart to think and know that you have that conversation with the Lord. Please continue to do that. Our vision here as a church is to see that our life of worship and mercy would draw many, many people into Jesus and the kingdom of God. And we believe that as God continues to invite us as a local church to follow him in his kingdom work and plans to see the people of our region meet Jesus, we also believe that every resource required that we will ever need for this great adventure of God is among us in the generosity of his people. We fear not. We trust big. And we invite you into that journey as well.